Okay, we are in the book of Acts, continuing on. We um, believe it's a very special thing to hear God's word preached and uh, that we could hear today um, the word of God in our own language. Um, remember, that is quite a remarkable thing. And uh, let me pray for the word of God today. Uh, Father, thank you for the gathered church for this moment. Uh, I pray that you will really be present to help me. Uh, Father, I am just a recovering sinner. Uh, I've spent time uh, learning about things of the Bible. But Father, uh, in the end... I have no power to change lives or to uh, do anything more than be a, uh, a beggar who has found bread and is telling other beggars where to, where to eat. So thank you for uh, reminding me of the humble place. Um, and I pray that all of us will find that humble, humble place this morning. Uh, as we hear your word, Lord, help us to listen for life change. Help us to listen that when we drive home, we can sense you're up to something that's really, really good in our lives. Reduce our fears, increase our belief that we are beloved. We are beloved. As we hear this, Lord, may these be words from a heavenly Father who is tender and merciful and, and remarkably kind. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. All right, uh, I'd like you to think about your last argument. Was it on the way to church? Uh, what, what is it about that? What is it about that moment driving to church and, uh, I don't know, spiritual warfare? What's happening? Uh, it's hard to figure out why we argue the way we argue, um, but we do argue, don't we? Um, and I have to confess, Marianne and I have been married for quite a while. This brave woman stood in front of the altar with me. It's just amazing that she stayed with me, and just it's crazy. And I am just discovering, this is absolute honesty, I'm just discovering, I've said this before, in my mind I'm thinking, maybe I should just support her, not argue with her. It's just, it's just like, that's, that's, it's like a new thought. It's, it's, it's just bizarre. And then the, all the things I think are so important and really, that's what worship's about. Worship is really coming to that primary place. I, I see what's, I see that what's ultimate in my life, and what's, what's not. Right. So today, this is a little bit. Did did you feel a little uncomfortable with that passage? Did it, what was that like? That, for some of us, perhaps that's the first time we've, we even knew that. Right. That Paul and Barnabas, they seem like buds. Barnabas is actually the one who really found Paul. Barnabas is really the the leader of the relationship. Barnabas was the mentor. Uh, Paul was was new at this, and uh, well, now uh, it's it's on the other side of this missionary journey, and they want to go back and encourage the churches and follow up with them. And uh, you heard the dialogue there. They want to bring her on, bring along John Mark, and this is the author of the Gospel of Mark. And in fact, his uh, it looks like his mother's house was previously referred to in the book of Acts 
down in Jerusalem, and his mother's house was large enough for the church to gather. So they may have been fairly affluent people. Uh, and in fact, uh, John Mark is related to Barnabas. Uh, uh, uncle-nephew relationship. Okay, so Colossians 4 highlights that. So there's an argument, and I'm going to use the word argument uh, in, a, in a fairly good way today. Okay, so I think uh, argument, ar the art to argue uh, sounds like a negative thing, right? But I want to share with you a couple of things um, about arguing. And uh, I want to I look at the idea of... Uh, of conflict for a little bit, and I want to talk about our words, once again, our words as Christians, okay, so uh, we'll think about that. So what I want to look at today is I think we should argue uh, based on, on kingdom priorities, okay, argue based on kingdom priorities. So if there's an argument that happens based on that, that, that that's good stuff, okay? And then I want to talk about arguing that is really driven by honesty versus judging. Okay? It's kind of the title of the sermon, but the sermon gets a little bit broader than that subject. And then I want to talk to you about even the better arguing that happens, or the better speech, the better Christian communication that happens when we identify ourselves with John Mark in the story. We identify with John Mark, um, and I'll tell you more about that. So argument Arguments that are based on kingdom priorities. Um, arguments that are based on honesty, but not, not judging, or conversations, honesty, not judging. And then sort of this better arguing that happens as a result of identifying ourselves with John Mark. Okay, so I hope that, hope that makes sense as we look at this. So the, the flow of the text is fairly, fairly straightforward, right? There's not a lot of mysteries here. Not a lot of uh, deep exposition that has to happen. It's pretty straightforward. Conversation, let's go back, encourage the churches. That's their style, disciple, follow-up, right? Barnabas says, great, we'll bring along John Mark. And then in this town where they had previously visited called Pamphylia, uh, John drops out. And there are commentaries on figuring out what on earth what happened. The word is deserted. The word is deserted. The word is he failed to show up. Some think that he was just sick. He was just uh, not able to carry on. Some think that he was afraid. After all, they, you know, we, knew, we know that the Lystrans uh, tried to kill the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's, John Mark is um, he's a witness of the resurrection. Uh, he's uh, no doubt a, an individual who God has been given special uh, revelation to, but he is, he is weak in some way or another. Uh, and so we don't know what happened, right? And then we have this, and as you're reading the story, maybe some of you are really uh, identified with the Apostle Paul, right? And he takes such predominant, uh, uh, he, he, he gets such prominence in, in, in our preaching in the New Testament, and he's vision-driven, right? And he is, he's, he's, uh, he's tough, right? At least we imagine him as tough. Some of us identify with him, and then some of us identify with Barnabas, Perhaps you're just more naturally compassionate. And why on earth would you ever, you know, someone failed in ministry, someone didn't show up, someone was afraid. You, that's not like the, the unpardonable sin, and, he's, you know, you can't hold this against Mark for the rest of his life. So, first of all, let's look at this idea. What, what is, at least we look at them, and they're, and they're arguing about 
how to do kingdom work. Does that make sense? They're arguing with how to do kingdom work. I, I love those arguments. That is great. Uh, would that the church would argue more. Wouldn't it be great, right? The church would argue more about kingdom priorities. And the, the church historically has not done well with this. And some of you, I've heard uh, refer to this before, and I'm really going to uh, look this up. It's probably not happening anymore, but it was reported years ago that Harvard Business School, to train their MBAs, would um, use an illustration on conflict in a church to help these upcoming hotshot business people. Uh, okay, you think, you think you know how to handle a conflict? Here, here's one. Ready? Uh, a church had a steeple. Look at all the people. And, and the church had a steeple. I thought I was the only one who knew that. Church had a steeple and a lightning bolt. I don't know what was going on in the church, but, you know, God had his thoughts. Uh, a lightning bolt hit the steeple, and it burned just that section of the church where the steeple was. Now, I don't know the financial, the, the insurance company, what was available, what was it, but that church had half the crowd wanted the steeple rebuilt. And the other half said, who cares? And apparently there was some financial commitment to do, get this done. And others said, no, we're, that's not that important. I never liked it anyway. Right? So, so this huge issue happened in the church over a steeple. Where do you find steeples in the book of Acts, right? Well, certainly it's beautiful to have a beautiful church and aesthetics and all that. Isn't that interesting? Church in Michigan I served before we, Marianne and I came out here. The comment cards, right? Yeah, the welcome card. It's supposed to be for prayer requests. It's supposed to be, please pray for the, the co-worker I'm trying to bring to Jesus. All that stuff? No. What were you thinking about that first song? <laughs> I mean, you got to come to church on Monday down to my office. You'll see some things, okay? Someone wrote, this is church in Michigan. This is absolutely true. And it was this time of year. They said, Please do not have us turn and shake hands. After all, it's the cold and flu season. There's a kingdom priority. How are you? Good. It's the cold and flu season. I'm glad you're five feet away from me. So I would love to have arguments about kingdom stuff. You see what I'm saying? That's, that's cool. That's all right. You're around the table. A bunch of, you know, the elders are hanging around trying to figure out what, what would look. That's, that's great stuff. Kingdom priorities indicate a changed, a changed heart. Uh, kingdom priorities were not in Saul of Tarsus, who was converted on the road to Damascus. Kingdom priorities were not from Barnabas, who grew up in Cyprus. They just weren't, it's not natural for us to care about the kingdom. So to pray, as we prayed already, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. That is a, that's a remarkable prayer. That's a prayer of a changed heart. I'm aware that, God, you are sovereign in heaven. You're sovereign on earth. I can't understand how this all is supposed to work, but I, want, I know there is a cooperation in heaven that is joyful. Your will is being done, and I want your will to be done on this plane, this place, this earth, as it is in heaven. That is what missions is all about. That's what the church is about. 
And that's where, by the way, the world is heading. God is going to bring his kingdom to this earth. A new heaven, a new earth are coming. So the change is because of the gospel. Hearts are changed. And really it's about different angles, different priorities. So Paul uh, doesn't think we can afford to have young John Mark with us. Doesn't think it's a good idea. He did leave the team. Uh, and Barnabas says, well, actually, you know, it's actually what we should do. We should help him, train him. We don't really know further what the conversation was. But whenever the gospel, here it is, argue based on the kingdom priorities, whenever the gospel is working, it is propelling us outward. Whenever the gospel is firing in our hearts, it has an outward movement. And that comes into conversations, strategic conversations. How do we make this happen? Right? So, simple idea. Let's argue better about kingdom priorities. I want you to pray for, for uh, myself and some others. Uh, I'm helping to put together uh, some seminars to reach out to our school families. Okay? And the idea there, the, the concept is to speak to felt needs like anxiety, um, felt need of, uh, of parenting children. That's a felt need. And to help parents understand their real needs. So be praying for that. That would be a, a beautiful kingdom priority to help parents come to a, a more full understanding of the gospel. And that's, you'll hear more about that in, uh, coming up in 2017. Now, better. let's also have, secondly, Better arguing based on honesty, not judgment. Honesty, not judgment. I think there's an honest exchange going on here. They are able to talk directly to each other. And uh, Mark has been a no-show, and they have different ways to interpret that, and there's honesty going on between the two of them. And I think Luke's purpose, it's very interesting. Why does he... It's interesting, why does he even have this little vignette here, right? These little seven, eight verses. I don't know if you're, I mean, is it, what, what, is, he, what is Luke trying to help us understand, Luke the author? Remember, just prior to this is the big assembly in Jerusalem, the gathering of elders from the, the established churches, and they're making a decision about what are we going to do about non-Jewish conversions, the Gentile conversions? What are we going to do? Uh, are these legitimate? Are these real? Is this, I mean, are they our brothers? And are they our sisters? And are they, are they really part of the church, the New Testament? And of course, we're all sort of like, what on earth are you thinking? And the answer is yes, this massive, important gathering in Jerusalem. And then Luke has brought us now, focused our attention to just a little tiny conversation at the end uh, of what we call Acts chapter 15. And I'm going to suggest that Luke's audience is primarily Roman, and I'm going to suggest that just as the church gathers and does its work peacefully, it settles its disputes peacefully, at a grand scale, the large organizational scale, the church also deals with its disputes peacefully on a private scale. I'm just going to suggest that that's kind of the, the big picture going on there. So um, remember that Rome is going to become accustomed 
to the growing Christian presence. Who are these people? Are they a threat to the, to the kingdom? What is this about? So just interesting to watch that this is a fairly peaceful disagreement and they didn't kill each other and uh, that would probably mean something for the Roman rulers. So it's a resolution to continue on in ministry without condemning each other. It's a resolution to continue on in ministry without writing off Barnabas or writing off Paul, saying, you know, you are just a loser and because you hold this opinion. In our interactions with each other, and this is a very important thing, you are not wired for grace. You're not. I'm not wired for grace. We are wired for law. This means that we will dispense law first. And only when we are corrected will we say, oh, I, I think I should have spoken more tenderly. I should have taken the condemnation tone out of my voice. We are wired for law. Now, uh, in your marriage, I don't know if you experienced this, but uh, you have. it can be as simple as how do you keep the kitchen clean? Anyone have some real big arguments about this? Who's the law dispenser in the family? I don't see any hands coming up. That's good. I'm encouraged. All right. We dispense law. Okay. Um, do you, in your communication style, have a judgmental stance toward others? It's a disapproval. It's something communicating that they just are not what you like, their commitments, their styles, whatever they're after. Do you have an attacking style? Do you ask difficult questions that communicate you don't meet my approval? Do you cross-examine like a lawyer? Do you like winning an argument more than loving the opponent? Don't you hate this stuff? Winning an argument more than loving the opponent. Do you, does the argument turn to the focus on the person even if the discussion started about you? Do you turn it back to them? Honest, honesty is speaking to the issue without condemning the person. Now, here's, here's what I'm learning. This is my, my thing on this. I'm learning that what I really believe, the issue, the problem, the person, the situation, what I'm really believing is, it, I come at it with such a power, it's great, I come at it with such a power that I think it's going to have saving power for me to be right at the elders' meeting. I go drive home, yay! And so in other words, to articulate an argument, to spell it out perfectly, to have people esteem me, to have the glory of, of uh, rhetorical flash and logic and oh, whatever. And this, this brings me something. See what I'm saying? When I am trying to be particularly persuasive and trying to put someone, to help someone else understand how logical and reasonable and biblical, oh, watch out, what, how biblical I am. What is my motive? 
What am I after? What am I tr- what, what is this all about? Think about that. And so my communication is actually telling people that I am interested in being the focal point and I'm not interested in actually bringing them to a Redeemer and to a Savior. It's tough, isn't it? This honest evaluation of the heart. Let's look at this and then we're going to wrap this up. I think you get it. Honesty versus judging. Uh, But I think there's a real battle there. Now, here's, here's the next thing. Better arguing, better Christian communication, better Christian words, better use of words happens when we identify with a certain person in the story. When I read the story, I probably personally identify with Paul. I really like Barnabas. He's cool. I'd, lo- I'd want him on my team. Who do you identify with as you hear the story? Because when we read the story, it's interesting. The one who fades from view is John Mark. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't represent himself. He's just out of it. He's just being referred to. But so it's really about Paul and Barnabas. And I'm going to suggest to you that better arguing, better Christian communication comes from personally identifying with the weakest one in the story. This is the, I believe this is sort of the key. Now, John John Mark distanced himself. He didn't show up. He didn't have enough strength. He wasn't able to show up when needed. Barnabas was strong relationally. He wouldn't fail anybody relationally. Paul was committed. He moved right into the Listerns and throw rocks at him. He is moving in. But John Mark didn't show up. Is he closer to who we are than perhaps the other two? When Jesus approached the cross, he ended... He, he approached the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. Judas was on his way to report where Jesus was to the uh, religious officials. And Jesus is doing business in prayer with his father. And the weight and the, of the full implications of his priestly office he was going to become a sin, the sin bearer for people. His heart is heavy beyond understanding. And in Mark's gospel, we have the phrase that he was sorrowful unto death. He wants the father to remove the cup from him. He prays for that. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And he He has sent the disciples, there's just three of them, James, Peter, and John. The other eight are not there. Judas is gone, betraying him. And he has three there, and he has asked them to watch and to do what? Pray. That you enter not into temptation. That's 
the commission to these disciples. So there are three disciples in the garden with him. And after the exchange with the Father, he approaches the disciples, and what's happening? They're asleep. He asks for ministry support. He asks for prayer, and they are found asleep. Right when Jesus needed ministry support, right when he needed friendship, right when he needed companions to be with him, they didn't show up. Peter had boasted that he would die for Jesus. Peter's asleep. Who do you identify with in the story here? Are we called in this passage to identify with the weak one? Do we have a self-righteous stance toward our communication, our way of being, our way of talking, our way of looking at ourselves? Yeah, I'm the faithful one. I'm the, I'm the support. Uh, I'm the I'm the breadwinner. I'm the I'm the. And do we have these messages of I'm the I'm this I'm the, I'm I'm. And all of that language will build up a an arsenal of argumentation to prove how righteous you are. I'm not saying this about Paul or Barnabas. They're in process as well. But did the disciples even understand their own radical failure to be there for Jesus? You know what? Do I? Do you see your Savior alone, abandoned, emotionally abandoned by the disciples? Do you find yourself in the garden And it's from this place where God comes out of our failure and he gives us a new heart. He gives us a new nature. He gives us a new passion. He gives us a new way of living. He will help us become more faithful. I think my argumentation, I think the way I try to speak, I think that you might be able to identify with this, is that I try, I'm trying in some way to save myself. I don't want to go to the humble place. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs. that it may benefit those who listen. Christian communication is vital. Christian, it's how we do ministry. The words we speak is how ministry happens. We're to listen to their needs and speak words that help build them up. This arises from a great humility. I would be self-righteous, prideful, and condemning apart from the love of Jesus. Wrestle well with our own hearts, See yourself in the garden. See Jesus turning to you. See him having compassion on you. See him rising from the dead for you. See him sending the spirit for you. See him loving you. See him seeking to redeem the way you communicate. See him seeking to connect your words with the grace of Jesus. 
see him seeking for you to do the hard work of repentance by looking at yourself. See him working to help you no longer shrink from the power of the cross to fit your wants and needs. See him shaping your words. See him shaping your words. With great humility, we hear the word of God, and now it's our opportunity to receive from the Lord his work on our behalf, the bread and the cup. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the grace of your gospel preached. Father, we see ourselves in Gethsemane. We see ourselves asleep. We see ourselves boasting of great things, but we had no power. And sleep overcame us, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this remarkable Savior who was faithful all the way to the end. Father, grateful, Father, for this remarkable story in your, in your Bible. Father, help us find the, the humble place, the place of repentance, the place that doesn't boast, the place that looks to a mighty cross. Heal our relationships, Lord. Heal, heal our words. May our words function differently because of how big you are. In Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. All right, brothers and sisters, let's uh, stand and uh, we will consider the Lord's Supper now. What a remarkable comfort this is. This is a remarkable statement of God's love for you and his commitment to strengthen you. Those who are invited to partake of this are those who have professed their faith. They've been baptized and uh, they are in communion with their church. And uh, so we invite you all to come and participate if that is you. And uh, let me lead, lead us as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. Uh, the Heidelberg Catechism from 1566. What a beautiful, beautiful expression of our faith. And let us affirm uh, this important aspect of our faith. What is your only comfort in life and death? Our God is thrice holy. Let us join heaven above in proclaiming with reverence. Hosanna in the highest. 
Let us proclaim the mystery of faith. As Paul said to the Corinthians, so I say to you, Christ, the Passover lamb, is sacrifice for us. Let us keep the feast. You may be seated. Well, Brandon and Rob, come on up. This is a renewal service. Every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim Christ's death until he comes. Such is God's commitment to you to love you through and through, to care for you. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus, after he had given thanks, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And when we remember his death until he comes, we proclaim his death, we celebrate his body for us. In the same way he took